Good evening, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Sports Medicine on Tap. I'm Jason Kopeck down here once again at Neck of the Woods Brewing Company, located here in Pittman, New Jersey. Dr. Frey, we got to continue our conversation on the uh, the misery of Philadelphia sports. Yes, we do, my friend. We had Dr. Bernardini on last week to talk about the ACL, LCL tear for Danny Green. And right. unfortunately, that weekend just continued to get worse because news broke about Bryce Harper having this partially torn UCL. Right. Man, it, it just was not a good weekend. The best of the best. And oh, <laughs> man, it, yeah, it hurts. It hurts. But we had to bring back our uh, resident baseball expert because this is just such a unique injury and, uh, you know, we had such a good episode with Mike Voltz a few uh, weeks ago, and we're happy to have him back on, you know, this we're time lucky, via man. phone. But, uh, Mike, we're happy to have you back. Yeah, thanks, man. And um, we will try to keep it shorter this time <laughs> right. so that uh, people can actually listen to it on their commute and not over three commutes. <laughs> That's right. Mike, I told you that the, the, the worst thing you could have done was come on and do a good job because you, with your area of expertise, you were going to be our go-to for a lot of this. So you've, you've painted yourself into this corner. Yeah, well, no, I, I guess the biggest thing is I can talk a lot. I can talk <laughs> with anybody. So. And we do appreciate you coming on. You know, you're, you're, you're trying to watch a kid's game. You're out there. But but here you are making some time for us while you're doing it. Thanks very much. We really do appreciate it. No, I appreciate it. I appreciate being asked. It, it was it was a lot of fun last time, so I'm excited to do it again. I mean, you're not here with us, so you're not enjoying. Uh, you were a big fan of the Porter, right, if I recall? Oh, my gosh. That Porter is something else. I bought three four-packs before I left. <laughs> that night and one was supposed to be for a buddy of mine and it's still sitting on my fridge and I'm debating on whether I'm giving it to him or not. I guess you don't want to, uh, you know, tell us whether or not you're having a, a beer there at your son's baseball game, huh? <laughs> no, I, uh, I had some, uh, some high end sunflower seeds early on. Close but, enough. But, uh, close enough. That'll suffice. Yeah, yeah. Mike, you're a special guest for us because this is Dr. Frey and I's 50th episode. Heck yeah, man. Holy oh, cow. Man. So yeah, no pressure, Mike. These are piling up fast, though. <laughs> Agreed. Mike, let's let's quick recap. I mean, so last weekend we find out that Bryce Harper has a second MRI, and we can kind of go back through the timeline. But uh, news breaks that he has a partially torn UCL. And the, the injury originally occurred on April 11th, and you were actually kind enough to send me the video, right, where he's he's trying to throw a, uh, a runner out at home from right. right field, if I recall, right? Right field, yeah, correct. And that, so that the 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 MRI, they they get one like within a couple of days because the the pain's not subsiding, and it, it says a uh, a strain of the flexor mass. Right, right. So, Doctor Frey, why don't we start with you? What is the flexor mass? Right. So, so first, it's, it, it is interesting when you when you watch the when you watch the play, you see him, you know, make the throw, and then you see him grab his elbow, and and um, I was actually watching it live when it happened. I was like, oh, that's ominous. And frequently, I, more often than I would like to admit, you see this injury, this exact series of steps mm -hmm. happening. Yeah, strained flexor mass, strained flexor pronator mass and whatnot. And then, then, then they're not getting better. And, oh, it's his UCL. So, so what the flexor mass or flexor pronator mass is, is you have a number of muscles that are in your forearm. Mm -hmm. Those muscles that help you basically flex your wrist, and so bend your wrist towards the palm side, and also to pronate mm -hmm. the forearm, so so to turn your wrist kind of, or the forearm kind of o o away from you. It's a really mm -hmm. hard one to describe, supination yeah. versus pronation. So that whole slew of muscles up near your elbow tend to come together as one sheath. One, the kind of large tendon, uh, for lack of a better description, 
and they all tend to come off of the top of the elbow kind of in the same spot. And that's a basically called your flexor pronator mass, which also happens to over, pretty much directly overlie mm -hmm. where your ulnar collateral ligament right. is. Mike, I'm assuming you treat a, a fair amount of flexor mass strains. I mean, that, that's probably a little bit more common than the UCL itself, right? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's you know, it's almost like the first line or the main line of defense against the UCL, right. or for the UCL, rather. You do see a lot of these, you know, just in general, that flexor mass strain uh, where the kids are coming in. And sometimes it's, sometimes it's almost, you know, it looks more like tendinopathy. Sometimes it looks more like a strain. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they'll even get like a radiating kind of pain in there that sometimes, you know, is a little bit more nervy, whether that's coming from the neck or from the elbow. But usually, usually if it's, in the flexor mass, I'm thinking more that it's actually coming from the neck at that point. But yeah, you see quite a bit of those, and especially early on in the season for for the younger thrower particularly, because they just they ramp up so quickly at the beginning of the high school season or the beginning of their middle school season, and even sometimes the college seasons they'll they'll ramp up pretty quickly. So yeah. so they they definitely pop up. I'll ask the both of you. I mean, you, you mm -hmm. feel free to weigh in. Was this partial tear of the UCL on that throw from right field? And if so, how are they so often missed in the initial MRI? Why did it take two, two uh, imagings to diagnose that? My gut feeling, uh, disclaimer, here we go. Yeah. We don't have access to his true medical records or the actual images. And I hate to contradict anything that's been floated out there. But my suspicion is that maybe that injury was there at the same time. Mm -hmm. I think the more obvious injury that shows up at the same time is that UCL injury of partial tear. Well, it is a strain mm -hmm. of the flexor mass or flexor pronator mass. So, so your eyes kind of drawn to that and you're chalking up the pain because it's in a very similar place yeah. to that particular injury. But the truth is that, that that UCL injury may have been there at the same time mm -hmm. that probably happened at the same time right and then they repeat the mri with a more of a focus right on that ucl and they say yeah no this is it looks like it's partially torn right mike well, if you were in charge of we know you're not bryce harper but you've been given the the job to keep an athlete on the field with a partially torn ucl as a treating physical therapist how does that approach look like for you yeah, so I mean, it, it varies whether they are, you know, like for right now, Harper is shut down, right? right. Uh, at least from throwing anyway. From throwing, right. Yeah, right, I, right. I feel like that's an interesting component. Right. I was going to ask you about that later, but continue. Yeah, so there are times when you see that medial elbow pain, you're unsure if there's a partial tear, they kind of think there's a partial tear, and and you don't shut them down because they're able to, to throw without a ton of pain you know it might vary from outing to outing and that kind of thing right. you know i was just dealing with a kid recently that has some some um you know moderate changes on his uh mri of his ucl or at least on his ultrasound and you know initially we were just kind of trying to manage week to week like what's your between throwing now this was a pitcher not an outfielder but between outing um you know what are what are we doing between outings what's your day after look like what's the next day mm -hmm. uh, when are you throwing again kind of thing when are you throwing bullpens right and then once they shut them down if, if it gets to that point then it's a whole different story because then then we can go a little bit more aggressively on the on the strengthening and things like that we can take a step back and really try to hammer everything like it, it's a different rehab if you're trying to keep them playing 
versus they're shut down and, and we're in season trying to get them back to play. Harper's obviously got an advantage that he's not a pitcher and a huge plus for the Phillies this year is that they, you know, the National League added the DH. DH yeah. Talk about time. So he can still hit. Right. Because he would and be shut I down think, altogether if it yeah, wasn't for that. I think, yeah, exactly. I think additionally, the fact that he hits left-handed and he's a right-handed thrower, mm-hmm. not that there's a ton of UCL strain when you hit, but Certainly it's even not. less if you're hitting from the other side of right. the plate. Right. Because that's his front side now. So, but yeah, I mean, that's I think now that, point. you know, they're able to really get after the strengthening with him in there and for me again i I, there's a couple different things that i look at i mean i look at like bryce harper's strong as as an ox right so i mean orthopedically i go in there and muscle test things like he's gonna knock me over right i mean (laughs) yeah but there are times when you start to see almost like um neural weakness that comes into play and i'm not saying that he has this i'm saying some of the guys i see that have this medial elbow pain and they start to have you know changes on the mri and things like that i go back and look up the chain a lot and see especially if i've got a guy that's got medial elbow pain and then they come in talking about tricep pain as well we get a lot of people say oh they got a tricep strain and this and that and i'm like dude if i've got triceps and i've got wrist flexor pain i'm looking at c7 right off the bat on all these guys and a lot of times more often than i think i used to look i I actually do find some c7 changes and i don't know if it's c7 started it or once you get that that altered muscular and you know efferent uh input back to the back to the spinal cord does that then change what happens in the whole myotome i don't know that's I have no idea. I don't think there's any research on that at all, but yeah. but I, I go up and treat proximally so that I can try to have a greater effect throughout the extremity right. and just really improve the, the neuromuscular feedback to that area. You just use a lot of terms. That's my, that, that's my <laughs> 25 cents, not my two cents. You, you use a lot of terms that we've never covered on this, um, but uh, because we know you, can, <laughs> you because we know you can keep us an hour and a half, we're just going to uh, let, let the fun? listeners look up what C7 <laughs> means and dermatomes and myotomes. And Cervical like seven. Yeah, right. sorry, sorry. <laughs> you mentioned, obviously, like the strengthening and the range of motion component. How about just relieving his day-to-day pain? Well, yeah, I mean, it's funny you guys mentioned some of this stuff the other day on the, on the uh, myths. Uh, <laughs> Thanks for listening, uh, man. Yeah. I, yeah, that was a good episode. I was, I wanted it to keep going. You know, I, I think right now in the baseball world, ice is a is almost like taboo. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you know, if you look at what's the research and the thought process on what's going on with ice, I use ice not so much for swelling and inflammation, but I will still use it sometimes for pain relief mm-hmm. for people because I do think it does a good job there. And, and if he's not actively swollen, I'm not too worried about like slowing down the sure. blood yeah. flow and circulation and things like that. If there's active swelling in there, I actually may not apply the ice because I, I want that movement and blood flow in there. Yeah. But believe it or not, from a pain relief standpoint, I will often use, um, and this is a new new tool in, in New Jersey in the physical therapy world. Um, I will often use dry needling, but I will go again more to the spinal segment and sometimes straight to the, uh, straight to the muscle itself. But I can get um, a pretty good systemic and, or peripheral effect by going to the spine with dry needling. And I always use electrical stimulation with it too. So you, any needle you, I put in somebody, I put electrical stimulation on it. Can you tell us a little bit more about what, what that is? What, what exactly that you're doing there and what's the theory behind it? 
Yeah, so dry needle because it's new in, 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 well, it came back in New Jersey now. I guess it was in the Practice Act, gone, and then and then came back. So what we use is basically, it looks like an acupuncture needle. It's a solid filiform uh, needle, very uh, thin needle. And basically, I'm looking at things still from an orthopedic standpoint. It's the exact same evaluation that I've done. But now a lot of times, I use the dry needling to try to improve muscle activation, right? So in other words, I'm sticking a needle into a given muscle, and usually it's... I typically look at it from a neurological standpoint it's got to it's got to make sense neurologically whether that's peripheral nerves or whether that's spinal nerves but it's still got to make sense from that standpoint occasionally i'll do a biomechanical thought process but what i'm doing is i'm putting needles in specific muscle groups and then i attach electrical stimulation to that needle so i get i get stim straight to that muscle and it's really almost like it's almost like neuromuscular re-education. Like we're reteaching that muscle what we want it to do and when we want it to contract and fire. So, and I also thought getting back to that that, that original question of of you know kind of his, his everyday day to day pain. Frequently, an ulnar collateral ligament injury, especially like a partial tear or partial injury, is actually it's not that painful mm-hmm. for everyday stuff. Right. It's when that athlete tries to throw. Yeah. And that 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 it hurts, yeah. and they have a problem. So so you know, I don't know. It's, it's it's a huge problem in that sense. It's just when when they have that very specific and very particular stress across that ligament that it becomes a problem. Yeah, one of the things that we know they're attempting to you know they're going down the re- uh, the route of uh, PRP injections, and that that I feel like the PRP is often closely associated with a UCL injury, uh, yeah. at, at least in my world as an athletic trainer. Right. Mike, would love to hear your thoughts on that, but I thought maybe we could have Dr. Frey first touch on you know, what the PRP is and you know, what is the purpose of that. Right. So PRP stands for platelet-rich plasma. And essentially what you're doing is you're drawing off some of the, that, that athlete's or that patient's own blood. You're putting that blood in a centrifuge and you're uh, isolating out the, the plasma layer, which has concentrated platelets in it. And there are you know, different varieties out there, different centrifuges or mechanisms out on the market. Um, some will concentrate it three times, or some, some will concentrate the platelets eight times. Some will concentrate it with what we call leukocytes, so leukocyte rich versus leukocyte poor. And they, they each sort of have what we're figuring out are sort of different indications when to use one versus another. And it's a, it's, a, it's a field of study that's really being figured out right now. Um, there's a lot of controversy that surrounds it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not an FDA approved procedure, mm-hmm. but there, there is some data that, that's very good that shows that this helps and helps with healing and shortens healing time. And there's some data that shows that it may not make a difference at all. Mm-hmm. And part of the problem is a lot of the studies and a lot of the data, is, it's not it hasn't been done consistently. Some of it's done with different techniques. Some of it's done with different brands of yeah. centrifuges or different ways to sort of isolate it out. Some of it's done with leukocyte rich, some of it's done with leukocyte. So, so we haven't really been able to really isolate what, what is best for what, you know, whether it's intra-articular, it's arthritis, what's better for ligaments, but we're sort of figuring some of that stuff out now. But the idea is that that PRP, platelet rich plasma, has a number of growth factors in there. There, you know, P- PDGF, platelet-derived growth factor, and um, uh, VEGF, uh, vascular endothelial, and these other 
factor is basically calling other cells, healing cells, oftentimes mesenchymal stem cells, to come to that area and jumpstart the healing process. Here I thought Mike talking about the C7 and the, the dermatomas was going to leave our listeners confused, but man. Yeah, yeah. So I went, I went way too far down the road. <laughs> but, but just so you know, so, yeah. and, and, and in a similar vein, before yeah. I get too far, yeah. there's also MSCs, mesenchymal stem cells, also mm -hmm. otherwise known as stem cells or, or yeah. bone marrow aspirate concentrate, where you can also actually take out some bone, uh, take out fluid basically from the bone marrow where, where stem cells are a little more concentrated, spin those down and try to inject those to jumpstart the healing process as well. Again, not uh, considered investigation by the FDA, but some data to show that might, that it likely increases healing. Oftentimes, and the reason you're saying this uh, in terms of like frequently associating it with these particular tasks, there are some studies out there that show like pretty high healing rates of yeah. partial tears, 80% and a couple like that are even higher than that healing rates where if you do the PRP injections and maybe the, the stem cell injections and you shut the athlete down six to eight weeks and do physical therapy to get that to heal and not have to go yeah. on and do that surgery. Right. Mike, I'm sure you get this all the time uh, with your athletes or with your patients. You know, they may bring it up like, hey, Mike, what, what do you think about the PRP? Is that something I should look into? What is your response to that? And maybe less based on research, just your clinical practice. Like, What have your experiences been with PRP? Yeah, I mean, I would say it's definitely varied. Um, I think for some of the reasons that Doc said, there's different techniques. Um, there's or different techniques for spinning. There's you're not always comparing apples to apples. Right. Exactly. You know, I I, I think I've seen some people do well with it. I've seen a lot of people, to be honest, scared off by the cost of it. Right. Yeah. You know, because it, it's not a cheap thing. Um, I don't and think it, Bryce Harper will be scared by the cost, but <laughs> um, but it's a, it's a work comp injury for him. He's good to go. Right. 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 <laughs> If we're, so, uh, I guess if we're comp approved, pain, yeah. if we're comp approves it, right? Yeah, I think they're going to prove anything he needs. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, so, you know, I would say, again, I, I think as with a lot of these different techniques that are out there, I think when as the selection of what we do gets better, usually the outcomes get better. Yeah. So in other words, you know, uh, in 16 years of being a therapist, when I first started, I thought most spinal surgeries were just a disaster. Um, but I, and now like 16 years later, I think the selection, the patient selection has improved substantially, which improves the outcomes. That's right. And I think PRP is probably going to be in the same vein. And, and to go back to the research side of it, I couldn't tell if doc said this or not, cause it kind of broke up a little bit, but for the UCL, what it looks like right now with the research is these, if the tear is more proximal, they have a better outcome. Uh, the more distal the tear, the more likely they are to need surgery. Um, so something like 85% of the, of the non-operative UCLs that succeed are proximal tears versus, you know, a very low percentage of the, of the more distal tears. So, you know, I would, my guess would be, if they're doing PRP and, and saying that he'll hopefully start throwing in four weeks, my guess would be he probably has a proximal tear. Yeah. Or maybe because he's a pitcher, they're saying, well, we might as well roll the dice and he can hit through the end of the year anyway. Yeah. And we can figure it out after that. Yeah. Dr. Uh, Frey, you, you raised your eyebrows there. You see, Mike seemed to pique your interest. Well, yeah. So interestingly enough, that that, that, that same format holds true with the MCL at the knee, right? Like that the... the the proximal ones tend to heal better. The ones that, that tear off of the tibia don't, don't okay. seem 
less a little less predictable at getting it to heal non-surgically um and it's just it just was interesting to hear that because it's basically the the same location on the upper extremity instead of the lower same extremity yeah yeah, yeah 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 mike i think the big not the same at the nebo and the elbow right 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 that's right <laughs> mike i think the big you know the big question here um you know for anybody that's listening to us is is probably either a philadelphia fan or a baseball fan if we use the an example from episode 12 when we talked about tyler glass now where mm-hmm. we're eerily in the same predicament where right. he tried to rehab through this partial tear it didn't go well yeah. I, i'm not saying that the the tear got worse but he ultimately ended up having work. surgery which was greg burke's point of view right? Right. like i feel like they do this every time yeah like we always works. try to get him through and then uh, mike your your opinion on you know what what does it look like for bryce harper here moving forward yeah i mean i would i would guess that it probably depends on again the um the location of it but also you know i think you know dr frey knows this i mean anybody who has thrown a baseball for prolonged periods of time in their life if you mri their elbow they've probably got some changes in their ucl um just like they probably have a change in their labrum and in their rotator cuff and and so my guess would be, especially for an outfielder, maybe more exposed as a pitcher, but as an outfielder, it may be that you can function with a partially torn UCL better than you could if you're a right-handed pitcher. Right. Again, you look around the, around the diamond, maybe a first baseman has the best chance of, of, of playing with a partially torn UCL um, of, of anybody because um, they're just throwing the least. An outfielder, right fielder especially, he's got to have a pretty good – arm is usually those guys have a cannon thrown yeah. from right and, field, and bryce so. does you know like and the, he does that's yeah. right so i mean he produces a lot of force through that thing but it's not constant like it would be for a pitcher um so you know obviously the the philadelphia sports fan optimist in me wants to say like he's going to be fine they're going to rehab this it's going to be longer than everybody thinks um because it's four weeks till he starts a throwing program. Right. Then he's got probably at least three weeks of a throwing program. Yeah. Then the Philadelphia pessimist in me, the one that just watched the Sixers lose, says, <laughs> "Oh, we're done. Yeah. We're done. Just, yeah. just put him, get him do the internal brace surgery, and, and right. you know, that's the other thing is he may be able to get away without a full if he has to have surgery. Right. He may be able to get away with the internal brace rather than a full UCL reconstruction. Which yeah, I so, believe Reese Hoskins had. Right. So there's this sort of in between surgery that's coming up, which which you just alluded to. Where uh, we've used that term for other injuries, the internal brace, and of course MCL is one of those one of those particular types of injuries, which is essentially anchoring a very very strong suture, a very strong rope that goes across where that ligament normally goes, and they're now now they're coming with versions of it coated with uh, with collagen or sort of growth factors to try to induce the healing process. So not not going out and going in there and actually reconstructing the on the collateral ligament altogether which which has good results and we've talked about it but but it's just a very long recovery but actually going in trying to do a little more repair augmenting with an internal brace trying to jump start the healing process and so you know that that is another way to potentially go in this particular situation and that's that's sort of that in between category let's go uh back and forth here uh dr frey and mike if we had to make our predictions here just your gut instinct bryce harper finishes the season dr frey so my gut instinct there's is, probably gonna be an a and a b here right 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 yeah does, so does he finish the season yes he finishes the season yeah mike yes i believe he will one b does he finish the season only dh yes frey? 
That's my that's my answer. That's my caveat. Mike? Uh, I think that's a definite possibility. Yeah. I'm hoping and thinking that he may get to be at least at least almost platooning in the outfield. We're only about gonna, 25 games into the season, right? That's wow. Yeah. And and right, so that becomes one of the concerns, and that's the argument on the other side, is like you don't want to wait till the end of the season if it winds up in reconstruction because yeah. now you're 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 waste you're not wasting but you you might be missing next season too right, right? so so some there's some argument to just do it now yeah but i think correct, in this particular correct. scenario yeah. not a pitcher partial tear still has value still yeah. hitting like a you know phenomenal hitter like like for this particular situation, I think the right answer is if you can hit without pain. Yeah. And, I, and and I think one of the keys, Mike hit it on the head, is the fact that he bats lefty while yeah. he throws righty. So yeah. it's a little bit of a different stress across the elbow. This might be the you know the perfect guy to get him yeah. through the season. And then if you, if you need to do the re- that right. in between surgery, that repair right. Right. tight rope, mm-hmm. as opposed to the full on reconstruction and try not to lose next season as well. Right. All right, totally second, agree. Second question, uh, Dr. Frey, Bryce Harper has off-season Tommy John surgery. Just like I stated just, it. Just your gut. Just yeah, your yeah. Gut. Off-season in between, not full-on ligament right. reconstruction, right. I think he has that augment. Yeah. Mike? Yeah, I agree completely. Again, yeah. because they're, they're saying it's a small tear. Yeah. So, and again, I, I think um, it will probably be that, that internal brace, that in-between surgery. And that recovers a lot quicker. I think yeah. it's like yeah. – four to six or six to eight months or something like that. I've not seen one yet yeah, um, yeah. Uh, personally, but I know it's a lot shorter of a recovery. So, yeah. And in full disclosure, I've never done that surgery. I don't, I don't you know, truly know the, 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 the details of the, of the rehab on that particular surgery, but yeah, I know that, that's the, one of the big advantages is, is it's, it's a much quicker recovery. And I that, think they're throwing it like three months or something like that after yeah, that surgery, that internal brace surgery. So yeah. it's and pretty quick. Dr. Frey, um, future seasons for Bryce Harper, whether it be in Philadelphia or just somewhere else in the MLB, do we see the same Bryce Harper? Yeah. Um, I'm Based gonna, on this injury yeah. alone. Yeah. I, I'm going to go with yes here. Yeah. I'm going to go with about, I'm going to say with about 80% certainty mm-hmm. um, yeah. that, that that's the case. Right. Sadly, unfortunately, I wish I could tell you 100% that that's going to be the case, but yeah. I'd say with about 80% certainty, yeah, Bryce Harper gets back to me and Bryce Harper. Mike? Yeah, I definitely think so. I mean, because even if he ends up getting the full on Tommy John. Okay. He's out for, uh, you know, 12 to 14 months. It'll probably be a little shorter cause he's not a pitcher. So you probably right. look in 10 to 12 months that he's out, but he's going to come back strong at that point. And that guy is, I mean, he's a hard worker. Right. I mean, you've, you've said, I mean, he's just strong as an ox. He's not going to let anything go in the rehab side of things. He's not going to mail anything in. He's going to work his tail off to get back. So I think you will see him back. Mike, before we let you go, I got one more question for you. Uh, you mentioned the episode we put out two weeks ago where we did this myth buster and we started adding in like a little segment here, whether it be fact or fiction. You, you mentioned that you heard it. And before we went on and recorded that episode, Dr. Frey and I were probably looking at a list of about 100 different you know, little topics. Yeah. And right. we, we went through them and we were just like, man, I wish we had asked Mike kind this. kind of on a I, fly. Right, you right, know, right, I wish right. we had asked certain people this question. So. One of the ones that we completely omitted was the uh, because uh, back there in in the break room, Doctor Frey and I seemed to, to differ instantly on sure. the answer. Yeah. So I'm gonna throw it out to you, and you can kind of break the tie here. The idea of throwing curveballs at a young age will lead to arm injuries. Ooh, this is a this is a grenade right here. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, so initially. 
the the thought was absolutely yes and the data was saying yes it led led to it now there's starting to be more data that's saying no it does not necessarily lead to to it um, and really when you look at it the fastball produces the most force through the shoulder and through the elbow because you're throwing it the hardest mm-hmm. my slightly um, you know dad coach slash physical therapist view is when you get a young kid that's trying to throw curveballs they don't throw hard enough to get the spin so they have to kind of snap their wrist more to create that spin to get the break and I think that more than the curveball itself and this is there is zero research behind this right. this is my own theory that's why this is myths right. myth, myth busters right <laughs> yeah, just just yeah. get what do you think right. I'm, I'm probably putting myths out there right now <laughs> right, right, right. Um, but, but I think you know when you have a kid who can't create that much spin on the ball to create the break he's got to create it some other way and I think probably more than throwing a curveball itself that's probably what did it was how they were throwing it yeah. and probably the fact that if you had a kid who was 10 years old who could throw a curveball, he was probably going to pitch more than the kid who's just throwing straight down the middle. Right. I think that was my side of things. So maybe it's volume. Right. And I'm not trying to say I won that argument, but uh, <laughs> my, my, my answer to that was it's not because they're throwing a curveball, but a lot of times it's because they're throwing a curveball with improper mechanics combined with not proper rest, too, you know, too high of a pitch count. You know, my thought was if they're throwing it correctly and they're doing everything else they should be, I'm not saying they'll be injury free, but it's not just because they're throwing the curveball that they're having these arm issues. Yeah. Well, and I guess you can you can look at it either side of that coin there. It's not because of the curveball or like, again, if they weren't throwing that curveball, they wouldn't have those mechanical issues right. and they probably wouldn't have that pain. Sure. So, <laughs> so we were both could, right. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, he's hedging, man. Right. He's hedging. <laughs> but no, that's a very interesting perspective. Like the, the fact that you're saying that that, that that makes a lot of sense. It's hard for a kid to get enough velocity and enough spin on the yeah. ball. Thus, they have to snap it, you know, the wrist that much harder. I mean, that rationale is way better actually, than what we came up with. Absolutely. <laughs> which is, which is why I just we're know that I didn't throw hard, and that's what I had to do to make a ball break. Yeah. Right, <laughs> right, right. Well, Mike, hey, I, I, obviously we can't thank you enough again for for joining us first and foremost, but you know for taking time away from your son's baseball game. I, I'm sure you're probably watching in the distance, but that really meant a lot to us, and uh, we really appreciate that. No problem. It was a big game for him too. He got a new pair of baseball pants today, where he could actually have a belt running through. So that was a, that was a big deal. Spectacular. We're walking out the door, I, I said, "Buddy, the first time I had a belt on my baseball pants, I was in high school." So, you know, you're six. That's hey, a big win. Yeah. Hey, one more thing I just thought of it, too. I mean, you have some some more great things going over there with the Movement Science Project. I saw you had a little uh, maybe seminar or something with the Cabrini baseball team. Yeah. So um, it was actually almost set up by a friend of mine yeah. who had an intern um, who was on the Cabrini baseball team. And so it was his intern's project. So they brought him over uh, to our place, the Movement Science Project yeah. and or. Uh, on deck training center and and we were able to host them there which was pretty cool yeah. and you know so that, it was a good time good time having those guys in there and, and getting a look at some of the way they they moved and, and hopefully they were able to we were able to give them some good advice so. you're doing some amazing things over there man so i mean what we have to do now is make sure that these high profile injuries only occur based around your schedule <laughs> yeah if that's if that's if you guys could work that out that'd be great <laughs> All right, Mike. Thanks a lot, man. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. All right. Yep. Thank you, fellas. Thanks for having me. Yep. Before we get ahead and close out our tab for tonight, we want to take a moment to thank our sponsors, Reconstructive Orthopedics, with our eight locations and focused on you approach, covering all of your orthopedic needs. The Energy Lab, the region's premier sports performance destination. 
Neck of the Woods Brewing Company, located right here at 614 Lambs Road, Pittman, New Jersey. And as always, our good friends at Timber Reel Productions. Thanks a lot for listening. We'll catch you guys next time.